We face today a crisis unprecedented in the modern age. The coronavirus pandemic has swept the world. 1.2 million have died and 48 million more have been infected. The streets of Paris, London, Berlin, Rome, and New York lay deserted. For all but a few fortunate countries who were able to root the coronavirus out of its inception, social distancing and economic shutdown are perhaps the only recourse. Welcome to The Swing Vote, the show where we present the facts and you draw the conclusions. Dread it, run from it, coronavirus has arrived all the same. This is especially true in the United States, where government leaders, at least initially, systematically dismissed and downplayed the threat of the pandemic and ridiculed prevention mechanisms. No matter on which side of the aisle you stand, the complete failure of the administration to prepare the nation for this crisis is reprehensible. The economy is intact. Millions are unemployed. 10 million U.S. citizens are still infected, and 100,000 new cases are being reported each day. We are at least six months away from a vaccine, and medical infrastructure has been completely overwhelmed. When things are already as bad as they could possibly be, the only question that remains is, where do we go from here? What can we do now to save the lives and livelihoods of the American people? Let's open the floor. All right. So, does anyone want to go first? I mean, I'm, I usually go first, but in case anyone's, you know. You always go first. There's a tradition at this point. All right. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. Let's get one thing straight. There are lives and there are livelihoods. And when it comes to government policy, a priority has to be made. We have to understand, what are we here to save? Are we here to save American lives? Or are we here to save American livelihoods? Now, I firmly believe that it is the government's duty to keep its citizens alive and safe before its job is to keep its citizens employed. To put it simply, with 100,000 new cases and shattering records for infections, we are going to see an increasing lethality as an already overwhelmed medical system is further swamped by new cases. Meanwhile, governors simply flaunt these, these suggestions of experts and simply declare themselves as for freedom. Well, here's the thing. It is time for a federal mandate. A federal mandate that requires a unified response. A federal mandate that mandates lockdowns when it is necessary, such as in the Dakotas, where people are getting coronavirus at appalling rates of, what is it, 71? As one in 71 North Dakotans had an active case of coronavirus, I think Thursday or something like that. These ridiculous numbers cannot be allowed to go on. And the simple matter is that a lot of people point to, what about the economy? We can't lock up forever. Well, here's the truth. We lock up to control the, to control the virus. A lockdown is a temporary measure. But when people are dying, when the United States is shattering worldwide records, when the United States accounts for a disproportionate number of deaths, it's not a choice between saving the economy, making the hard choice, and locking down. It's the choice, it's the choice between destroying the economy long-term and killing tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, or, of course, making the long-term decision and accepting short-term economic damage in exchange for a healthier population that will be able to rebound much better. Because the truth is, dead people can't work, and they can't buy. So I would like to talk about maybe a middle-of-the-road strategy that could be done. Because, okay, A, what you are advocating for, Harry, is completely unconstitutional. You cannot, the federal government does not have the authority to lock down all states, especially against their will. There's no provision in the Constitution that allows that, that violates the First Amendment freedom of association. Okay, so there would be no way to actually enact that, first off. And then... Second, I believe that we do not need to implement lockdowns in order to A, control the pandemic, and B, we can also keep the economy afloat. Um, first off, uh, lockdowns are completely unnecessary because all we need to do is have states, right? Individual states can implement mask mandates, right? That's constitutional. That's legal. Um, Jacobson versus Massachusetts ensures that. So it is, it's completely legal for a state to say, hey, you must wear a mask if you're within, let's say, six feet of another person. And then after that, uh, most vulnerable people, maybe people over the age of 60 or 65, uh, are essentially says basically they have to stay home, right? And they shouldn't be in interacting with other people. Um, according to the World Health Organization, the like the infection fatality rate is somewhere about 0.5%. So it's fairly low, right? And the most of those deaths are from, you know, the oldest people or the most, um, you know, the with people with pre-existing conditions. So almost everyone else is fine or very highly, highly unlikely 
to uh, die from the virus. We can keep uh, the economy um, afloat. Uh, we do not have to put in these lockdowns. It's completely unnecessary. We can save lives at the same time. And let's let's remember this. This is, uh, as Frederick Bastiat pointed out in the 19th century, there's what's seen and there's, and there's what's unseen, right? You can see the lockdowns. You can see the people who die from coronavirus in the hospital. I do not want, you know, people to die in the hospital. I'm just saying we don't see what are the other side of the equation we don't see. For example, the UN predicts that perhaps millions of people will die uh, over the course of this year and next year because of starvation, because of the economic re recession caused by the lockdowns and the resulting food shortages, right? Uh, hundreds of thousands of people are dying from overdoses, suicides, and other problems related to the lockdowns. We have to take that into consideration. Therefore, I think it's foolish to institute more lockdowns at the expense of actually more deaths being caused by those lockdowns when we can advocate for a safe policy that will save our economy. If I may respond to uh, my opponent, um, I have to say one, I have to, I have to make several points. One, um, well, I will put this bluntly. Well, if I will put this bluntly. I will put this bluntly. Let's not use the word opponent or discussion opponent. Okay. My interlocutor. I would like to <laughs> I would like to remind my interlocutor who, who they are debating with. I do not care if it is technically unconstitutional. If it saves lives, if it saves thousands of lives, then guess what? South Dakota doesn't get to kill people. I'm sorry, but it's true. Second of all, I, I will note that my interlocutor did specifically note that, well, yes, pre-existing pe people with pre-existing conditions might need to be protected with special measures. Um, he did not provide specific numbers for how many people who have uh, how many people have pre-existing conditions. Well, of non-elderly Americans, right? Of non-elderly Americans, fifty to one hundred twenty-nine million, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, have pre-existing conditions. And again, that is non-elderly. So when you consider that. We are considering locking up what is likely about half of the country has pre-existing conditions when you account for the elderly population. And when you look at that, it suddenly becomes a bit more of an issue, doesn't it? Now all of a sudden you're saying, well, we'll reopen the country, but we'll take special measures to protect half the country. You can't do that. So what's going to happen is a choice is going to have to be made. Either you have to be willing to lock down on a certain level, if it proves necessary, or you are willing to accept people, mil hundreds of millions of people, being put at significant risk because they have pre-existing conditions. So let's not downplay <laughs> So let's be clear here. Make no mistake. The oft-repeated talking point that really, with the low infect, with the low mortality rate of the coronavirus relative to a lot of to how many people see it as being presented, only people with pre-existing conditions are at risk, ignores the fundamental truth that the number of Americans who have pre-existing conditions is far too large to accept anything other than a nationwide universal policy. Not to mention the simple fact that. If we don't account for the fact that people will get coronavirus, infection rates will skyrocket. Inevitably, my interlocutor's plan would involve increasing, increasing rates of, um, of infection. And now, that's interesting because that would become a pre-existing condition. Having had coronavirus is a pre-existing condition. So the healthcare system would be further burdened by the fact that many people would lose their healthcare because with a new pre-existing condition, having had coronavirus, and possibly severe lung damage, because even if coronavirus isn't fatal, it can do serious long-term damage, people will lose their insurance. So let's note that my opponent, excuse me, not my opponent, my, my friend, who specifically stated the hidden costs of a lockdown, let's not ignore the fact that not all the deaths, not all the problems, not all the suffering caused by COVID happens because people die from COVID. Long health, health problems that occur long after the immediate effect of the infection. Losing healthcare, losing opportunities and job and in a job and in life because you don't have the physical capability to do it. Let's not ignore the fact that our decision to lock down or not to lock down to lower infection rates has to, we have to grapple with the fundamental truth that people who get affected, whether they die or not, will have their lives irreparably changed. Should I respond? Am I allowed to respond to that? Yes, absolutely. Okay, first off on the constitutional part. So what you're implying is that as long as something is in public safety, uh, in the interest of public safety, or what you deem to be so public safety, it's perfectly okay to implement that, which I think is extremely dangerous for anyone to advocate for, right? You could, as long, you're essentially implying, oh, as long as we have the right guy in charge, it's okay. But that's, act that's a super dangerous precedent. As soon as some wrong guy comes in charge and says, hey, implement X or Y policy, uh, it'll save people's lives. Uh, People are going to be like, oh, okay, it's okay because we 
we already uh, agreed to this sort of policy of, you know, going against the constitution. So it's fine. Right. And this guy could turn out to be, you know, a bad guy who does wrong, you know, does wrong things. It hurts a lot, ends up hurting a lot of people. And B, we're also, we're a nation of laws, right? We have to agree to some standards. If we don't agree to some standards, then we're just merely a nation of men ruled by whims of tyrants, essentially, because there's nothing for these people to stand against. On your subject of pre-existing conditions, okay, first I want to ask you how many deaths, um, how many of these pre-existing conditions can be proven to be directly uh, cause, uh, be can directly cause people to be more susceptible to the coronavirus? Because that's an important question because many people may have, because maybe what I'm thinking is how many people have pre-existing conditions, but they have nothing to do with how um, susceptible, to, susceptible you are to getting the coronavirus. And secondly, people most, almost all jobs, even with people who have pre-existing conditions, many jobs, many things that people do can still be done and uh, even without uh, locking them down. So example, lots of people work from home, right? These people, um, right, as we said, sorry, I'm going off the wrong tangent, my bad. So a lot of people, as I'm saying, can, you know, still go out, wear a mask, right? Even if you have pre-existing conditions, right? And still be safe because remember the mask is supposed to prevent you from spreading coronavirus, right? So I don't see how it's not necessarily true that just because you have pre-existing conditions, your death rate goes up to like 100% as soon as you go out and interact with people. You can still do a lot of normal things and get away with it and be completely fine. And then I, I, I want to talk about the unseen and seen part in the health, um, long-term health problems. Yes, I acknowledge that there are many, um, there are many uh, uh, long-term health problems that we still don't know about relating to coronavirus, but I believe that if, for example, the food shortages, the economic damage, in the long run will actually be far more severe than that. Again, uh, United Nations uh, has already predicted that there might be millions of deaths just from starvation around the world and the economic damage in the long run. Just think about how the 2008 recession ruined millennials, um, right? They, they're, you know, entering the economy, the workforce, right? At the t- you know, as they're graduating from college and then wham, they're hit with this recession. Imagine how many livelihoods were ruined by that. Right? Imagine the debt, imagine the savings loss, imagine that, right? That's horrible. And now as, you know, people are entering the workforce, uh, now they're basically screwed because now we've engineered an economic catastrophe of unprecedented proportions. So I would say that pretty clearly the deaths, uh, if we're just using a purely consequentialist uh, utilitarian standpoint, number of deaths from that are from, as a result of the lockdown policies clearly is far more than the coronavirus. And again, I believe we can mitigate many of those COVID-19 deaths if we, for example, have, you know, wear masks, we're staying relatively socially distanced, we're making, we're doing common sense policies like washing hands, etc. And so I do not think that lockdowns are warranted in any sort of way. And yeah. To put in two asides, well, for one, you said the statistic about 11 million people, but we also have to consider that the so-called unseen consequences are going to be far stronger in underdeveloped or undeveloped third world and second world nations as compared to a developed first world nation. Obviously, we will still have many of these problems, but it's not, it won't nearly be as bad as for, say, a developing third world nation. And the second aside is on the economic point. And I, you compared it to the 2008 recession. I think that's incorrect here because uh, from the beginning, I considered, I didn't think that this would have a major long-term economic effect because I don't think this really affects consumer confidence or business confidence at all since it's a simply an external shock that doesn't actually have to do with the inherent, um, uh, the inherent uh, nature of the economy. And I think that's reflected in the latest economic data. In Q2, during the height of pan- the pandemic, the U.S. GDP dropped by an annualized 30, around an annualized rate of 32. 1%. However, in Q3, it's recovered almost entirely and grown a little bit uh, because it increased at an annualized rate of 33% or so. So, And we can also see reflecting the stock market that uh, coronavirus has not affected business confidence, and I do not think this will spiral into a long-term recession like the 2008 recession will. I could, if I could also um, just, I, I think that uh, Mohammed brings up some good points but that he ignores one of the underlying truths, which is that, one, lockdowns are sort of a measure that I would consider one to be of last resort. When I specifically bring up the Dakotas, 
I believe, I bring up the Dakotas because I believe that is an example of an area that needs lockdown. Not every state needs a lockdown, but federal man, a federal mandate that says if you reach a certain level of cases per 100,000, it's time to lock down is a simple policy that can, that is proven to be effective. And while we have missed our opportunity to be as effective and efficient and get this over with as easily as, say, South Korea, that doesn't change the fact that we don't, we still have an obligation to deal with this where it comes. And moreover, I have to agree with Harry Fong on, um, on the, on his analysis of, of the 2008 crisis. And I should mention that 2008 crisis was the product of capitalist excess in which, you know, banks would basically buy people's debts, debts that were inflicted upon them because they had to buy, because they essentially did not have the money to buy decent things that their parents had had, and so they went into debt, and that debt was then bought by banks and sold as high value, or very much not. So while 2008 was very much a man-made crisis, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a little bit of a different standard between if you go outside, there's a significant chance you could catch a disease that could do serious long-term damage to your health and even kill you, and yeah, so some banks bought uh, some securities based off people's debt and then it crashed the entire economy. Like, let's be clear here. The responses should be different because the risk to the average person is far greater in, in terms of taking more drastic measures when it comes to the coronavirus. Whereas 2008, again, was a very much man-made crisis. Okay, so um, I'm, not, I'm not like contesting anything about the 2008 recession. I personally believe that it was not a capitalist failure and it's actually a failure of government, but I'm not going to get into that. My main, my, oh, my main point is about um, the effectiveness of lockdowns and the destructiveness on the economic situation, especially of people entering the workforce. So on the subject of the effect, effectiveness of lockdowns, right? So you're claiming that the lockdowns will work and perhaps maybe some countries it's worked, maybe in China it's worked, right? But if we look at Western countries like France and Germany, right, and England, they've instituted lockdowns and look how well that's gone, right? They've had, now their cases have gone up, right? And now they have to institute new lockdowns. So I'm having these doubts about the effectiveness of these lockdowns. And not only, not only these lockdowns seem to be not working, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe it would work in theory, right? If everyone actually followed, right? But it turns out maybe people aren't following it, right? Maybe people in Western countries are too individualistic. They're, you know, they like their freedoms, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not practical. Well, then same theory, right? Since it's not practical, then why are we actually enforcing it? And then remember, there's all the unseen uh, death and destruction that these lockdowns are causing. So I very much doubt that. And on the economic data, uh, uh, sorry, economic um, impacts, right? In 2008, um, many millions of jobs, especially even in the manufacturing uh, sector, were lost permanently, right? It wasn't, it was a, the, one of the slowest recovery from the Great Depression. Um, since the Great Depression in terms of economic crash. There is no, you know, there's no evidence that this economic recovery will be fast. Yes, GDP did go back up by 33%. But remember, we're still down in terms of employment. There are 20 million people that are still on some sort of unemployment benefit, right? That's a disaster. There are millions of people who are falling behind on their rents. They can't make ends meet, right? It's a crisis. This is the worst economic crisis we're in since the Great Depression. There's no indication of it letting up within the next few months. If anything, if any indication has shown clear, right, especially compared to the last recession, this could last for years, right? There's no, there's no indication that this will last, this will be, you know, short term and quickly recover. And the stock market, um, yes, there maybe business business confidence is high, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything about the real economy. The people on the stock market, right, are, you know, not con entirely connected with the economy. Why, why should, why should I believe that? Hey, the stock market's way, way up, right? It's almost recovered its pre-pandemic levels, like in the Dow, um, and then the Nasdaq has gone above. But how does that relate to the rest of the economy? Most people are still actually doing far worse than, uh, you know, uh, than uh, when this uh, pandemic recession started. So I don't think there's any indication that this recovery will be quick. And nor do these lockdowns, nor are they very effective. It seems, especially in Western countries. Maybe it works in authoritarian countries like China but not so much in Western countries. People simply aren't following them. Well, then we have to look at South Korea. South Korea is a completely a liberal democratic country. I mean, Taiwan, for that matter, as well. They're both liberal democratic countries in the Western tradition, and they've both been extremely successful, not simply because of lockdowns, but uh, on one hand, they recognize the problem early, and they invested a great deal to counter the problem. So I think the assertion that simply liberal democracy is incompatible with the harsh lockdowns necessary to contain coronavirus is incorrect because as we see, 
Taiwan and South Korea both have very different functions of those monarchies have Obviously, lockdowns are not the full answer, and in Taiwan and South Korea, they didn't simply use lockdowns again handedly. But I think it is definitely part of the answer to suggest that, oh, you know, lockdowns are the answer and they aren't compatible with liberal democracy, so let's not, so let's, let's not try and really address the issue. Please. I would also, I would like to run with what, um, with what Harry was saying, and so specifically highlight, so Muhammad did note that there were specific examples in Western countries, specifically France, Germany, the UK, where lockdowns were initiated, they seemed to be successful, and then they and then they seemed to have regressed. However, there are multiple studies that clearly say that the lockdowns, even the haphazard lockdowns implemented by, uh, by countries such as the United States, were extremely effective, including a study which said that they found that in six countries, including China and the U.S., pandemic control had a huge, uh, was, had a huge effect. In the U.S. alone, the measures stopped 4.8 million more confirmed cases of COVID-19 and up to 60 million infections in total. In China, the study claims, they, may, they prevented 285 million infections. That's a huge number. If we're looking at this, simply put, lockdowns have worked. And the fact that we are not in a much worse position is in large part a product of those lockdowns. And so lockdowns have in some, have in some ways become a victim of their own success because people are not satisfied justifiably with how bad the world is right now. And coronavirus still sucks and lockdowns are not fun. People say, well, look, they haven't worked. We'll just have to give up. But the fact is that between saving possibly, you know, saving at minimum 10, you know, millions of lives, right? And then another sec a second study found that in 11 countries in Europe, they found that 3.1 million deaths in these countries were avoided with pandemic control measures. In other words, we can clearly see that these lockdowns that are often treated as these ineffective things and they regress, well, yeah, but they still saved millions of lives when it was necessary. So when cases rise, it may be necessary to use drastic measures. And moreover, I would raise a question to Muhammad. And that question is, is there ever a, a point at which you would consider um, lockdowns? How many people would have to die before you'd be willing to consider more drastic measures to control the pandemic? So specifically addressed to me, if somehow the coronavirus, um, maybe I, I wouldn't, I, I do not believe that the coronavirus could kill so many people that it would necessarily mandate some sort of lockdown. Remember, this infection fatality rate is very, very low. I do not see how, I, I can't see how the benefits of the lockdown would outweigh the, you know, the harm, the, the benefits of the lockdown would outweigh the harm of the lockdowns because instituting those lockdowns would necessarily. So I want to get into Harry's uh, point about the uh, liberal democracies like South Korea and Taiwan. So in South Korea's case, I, I don't know much about the Taiwan case, uh, my bad, but I know in South Korea, they Lockdowns were not the centerpiece of how they contained the coronavirus. It was the contact tracing and the massive testing, which I am all for, because those are not draconian measures uh, that are instituted by the government. Uh, they do not um, a they, they they do not they are not um, unconstitutional, and b they do not end up destroying you know millions of people's lives and killing uh, millions more people. So I'm all for those two things, right? So South Korea uh, can't contain the coronavirus without. Um, mainly with the tracing and the uh, contact tracing and the large testing, rapid testing that they were doing. So I do not think it would be, it's not, you know, you can't really say that, oh, it was the lockdowns that stopped uh, the coronavirus in South Korea. And again, I want to I wanna emphasize the point about what's seen and unseen. On the, in the media every day, you can go on and say 100,000 cases or something like that, 10,000 cases, whatever, right? But we are forgetting the long-term damage, especially from these coronavirus lockdowns. Imagine how many people, you know, won't get ahead in life because like, imagine how many business owners right, had to close down their business, right? Lost, you know, all their money, right? They lost their life savings. They poured everything into that business and now they're mandated to shut that down, right? Imagine the damage that does to an economy. This is never done. In, this is almost, I don't think it's ever done, been done in human history where government has forcibly shut down its entire economy. That's probably one of the most destructive things you could do to an economy. The number of deaths that come from that, the destructiveness that comes from that, far outweighs any of the deaths that come from COVID-19. Um, I would like to uh, just point out the fact that I've always found a certain problem with the whole the economy argument is that the lockdown, I think, is in service of economic growth because what we don't, because what we are ignoring is that 
every time we don't lock down, we just push back the date when we finally get rid of COVID more and more. The day when we can open up without any problems. Now, every time Texas or Georgia or some other state opens up, you know, there's a massive spike in cases. People start dying and they have to close down eventually. The question's no longer if it's about economic recovery, then lockdown is the best option. Why you have to fundamentally get rid of the problem before you can open, reopen the economy. Doing this means that over the long term, much more economic productivity is saved once the issue has been solved. What we're doing right now is essentially, you know, we've, <clears throat> we've run half a race. And then we say, you know, oh, I'm too tired. You know, I've got to take a break. <clears throat> but if every time we walk a mile, we took a break, we're never going to finish that walk. Also, I would like to just say, and I think this is a relevant point, um, that Muhammad specifically brought up South Korea as, an, as a model of where you can, where the vast majority of their very effective anti-COVID measures were not locked down. Now, I'm going to, I'm not going to, unfortunately, take Muhammad's word for this. I'm going to take a steady, um, I don't know how to pronounce, is it Hassang uh, at all? Uh, no, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, but the point is, um, it specifically states that it can, a confirmed number of COVID-19 cases averted by the shutdown in South Korea was 11.5 million. And it guesses, it estimates from, you know, it extrapolates the data all the way out to a total COVID-19 case aversion of 38 million people. So, yeah, that's kind of a lot. And it clearly indicates that even in South Korea, which many people like to hold up as an example, where we don't really need lockdowns, the lockdown was an effective element of other, of, you know, a multi-pronged response to the coronavirus. Moreover, I would like to simply raise the other point, which is that we are being led to believe that there are these hypotheticals in which millions of people die as a result of the coronavirus. But as Jason said, first of all, not locking down simply pushes off the date and could drag things out. I mean, you want to talk about what lowers mental people's mental health? Well, I don't know, say losing a loved one to, to COVID? That might do something. And moreover, um, while, you know, um, certain people may provide these hypotheticals in which a lot of people suffer as a result of lockdowns. I can tell you right now that there are studies that specifically claim God. Ah, I can I can provide you a concrete study which states that 3.1 million lives were saved in Europe by prevention measures. Yes, did it regress eventually? Yes, it did. But maybe that means that it's time for another lockdown because frankly, lockdowns are not a panacea. They don't make coronavirus go away forever. But when cases get bad enough, they are an effective way to save lives. And I'm not talking about theoretic hypotheticals. I'm talking about 3.1 million lives guaranteed from Europe alone and a case aversion rate of tens of millions confirmed and an estimated hundreds of millions. And if we apply that coronavirus death rate, we're saving millions, tens of millions of lives across the globe by locking down, even in lockdowns as haphazard and late as uh, such as in the United States. So again, lockdowns are not the only answer. They are not fun, but when they are necessary, they are necessary. And if we refuse to use them, we are accepting the death of hundreds of thousands of people, and we are ignoring a valuable tool, a difficult one to use, but a valuable tool nonetheless. What I'm essentially, what I think we're trying to get to is that fundamentally the lockdown for example let's take the example of south korea south korea had a lockdown it isn't that uh, they simply used other measures it's that they had a lockdown for about a week before that lockdown was effective enough when coupled with other measures that they didn't need to do it what south korea did was very specific they locked down the country and they used contact tracing and advanced technology to figure out who had the coronavirus seal the border and everybody in south korea the 50 million people there or back to normal in a couple of weeks. The lockdown worked. Obviously, we can't have the same level of success in the United States when there are already so many infected, but restricting people from movement tends to um, lower the rates of disease. And look, no matter how, no matter how people are, no matter how many people are depressed that the economy is in a downturn, even if that wasn't improved <clears throat> by just getting rid of the coronavirus through a lockdown. I, I would think, this. logically, that people would be more depressed to die, to more stressed by the constant 
driving thought of their loved ones themselves falling sick to a falling a prey to a highly infectious disease that rots your lungs from the inside out. I think that drives more fear into people's bodies than losing their paycheck for <clears throat> for a couple of years, no matter how terrible that choice may be. It's a choice between death and money. And to uh, put an anecdote, to add an anecdote to Gary G's point about South Korea. Sorry, uh, louder, please. If, if to put an anecdote to Harry G's point about South Korea, in early February there was a uh, there was a Christian cult. Um, the this cultist sect of Christianity in South Korea that continued holding meetings despite the lockdown, and ultimately they ended up causing sixty percent of all new cases in a new outbreak in South Korea. Luckily, South Korea was able to uh, contain the outbreak through swift measures in cooperation with the church. But that just goes to show why lockdowns are necessary and how dangerous a single outbreak, a single, a single large gathering can be. You see, what we really need to do in the United States is just eliminate the church. That's the smart thing. Um, okay, so I have to respond to like three different people, so this might take a while. Uh, alright, it's kind of getting, uh, uh, to memorize a bunch. Okay, so first off, there's, again, uh, you ignoring the fact that lockdowns are not practic practical. Jason, um, you're saying, oh, if we lock down, then we're, oh, if we don't lock down, then, you know, we're merely delaying the deaths. But uh, again, what I'm saying is, you see these lockdowns in these European countries, in the United States, they happen, and then immediately um, cases went back up. So why should we trust the lockdowns again? If they're if the, if the same thing is probably going to happen again, right? Why would we do this again when and at the same time we're causing all this economic, um, you know, this economic disaster? Wait, causing... hold on, no, 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 hold on. But it's when the lockdowns went away that cases went back up. This yes, is like that's a exactly flu shot. Right. This is like a no. flu shot where you're like, well, I had a flu shot okay. last year, whoa, whoa, whoa. now I need no, no, a new no, 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 no. one. <laughs> Listen, listen, so are you, okay, listen, so then at this point, you're either advocating for lockdowns for a year or until whenever we get the coronavirus vaccine, which is clearly untenable, you know, no one will admit that we, no one will say we need a lockdown forever, right? And if we look at the case of South Korea, what is, what is the thing that South Korea did way different from many of the European countries? And from the United States, they had a comprehensive, massive testing program. They had tracing, their tracing program, right? They got in on the action very quickly, and they were able to stop the spread of coronavirus. I think that is what really made the difference. It was not the lockdowns. It was getting in on the action fast, and it was implementing the massive testing and implementing the tracing program. And as I say earlier, by implementing lockdowns, you're merely delaying the spread of lockdowns because inevitably you will not stop everyone. Uh, you know, you know, you can't stop everyone from, you know, not staying in their homes and especially, I don't know, maybe, again, as I was saying earlier about Western countries, I don't know, maybe it is some cultural, you know, cultural thing about Western countries, maybe not. But you're not going to be able to stop everyone. Clearly, you're, the idea of, oh, we'll slow the spread uh, isn't true. And again, as I said earlier, there are other unforeseen consequences of lockdowns. Now, on the point of, oh, it's uh, there's, a, there's a false dichotomy being painted here, I believe. There's the idea of it's either lockdowns or we're all going to die, this type of thing. And this is simply not true. Uh, again, as I say, there are many other methods, many methods we could be using, multi-pronged strategy to be using that we can, that can be used to stop the spread of coronavirus. It's not like we need lockdowns. That's essentially what I'm saying. I'm not denying, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, we just need to get into herd immunity. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can implement a comprehensive test, uh, testing strategy, strategy, contact uh, tracing. We can implement, you know, um, social distancing, some wearing masks, etc. These methods have proven to be to be effective against uh, slowing uh, the spread of the coronavirus and can be used instead of just simple lockdowns, right? So I would say again, there is this false dichotomy being painted, which is simply not true. It's not like we're going to have deaths, a massive you know number of deaths. Yeah, okay, there may be studies that say. If we don't implement lockdowns, then, you know, 3 million deaths are being going to happen. But again, what I'm saying is there are other methods we can be using instead of lockdowns that can be used, that can be just as effective, that we can contain or, or at least slow the spread of the virus. Now, I really take issue with that last part where you say just as effective because I absolutely agree with you. Contact tracing and other measures are absolutely necessary. But as we've seen in Singapore and South Korea, those are simply not enough. I already mentioned that. The thing about the cultists, uh, 
admit here, when I say Christian cultists, I don't mean Christians are cultists. I mean they are cultists who share some beliefs with Christians, uh, with the Christian cultists in South Korea, and most notably in Singapore. Singapore, to start off with, implemented an extremely effective and comprehensive contact tracing strategy and imposed minimal to no lockdowns, to my knowledge, in the very beginning. And to begin with, it seemed like everything was fine. However, a month or two later, there was an out a major outbreak in Singapore that could no longer be controlled simply through contact tracing. And they had to shut down. They had to lock down for about a month, I believe, or so. And they managed to contain it because of that. But the fact is, the example of Singapore and South Korea demonstrates that contact tracing and other measures are simply not enough in and of themselves. One way or another, you're going to have to use lockdowns to completely contain the coronavirus. What I would say to um, the things posited so far is that South Korea contact tracing, uh, massive testing initiatives, those worked because the initial infection was small. It was maybe 50 people. They just came back from China, you know, visit trips, family visits. Those people could be contact traced. We could, we can trace the individual steps of 50 people. We certainly have the infrastructure for that, especially with as uh, great of an intelligence state as we have here in the United States. But that's simply not possible anymore. There are, oh, there are, um, there are millions already infected by the coronavirus. Contact tracing, all of them would be a, would be a nightmare. The only, the question now is not of what is the most effective measure. It is what is the most effective measure at scale, and the, a lockdown is that. So contact you mean like tracing, today? Contact tracing, technology, those are all great measures. You know, they should be implemented. I certainly think that testing should be <clears throat> far more widespread, but as we've seen that basically everybody in the United States who you know, we think has coronavirus is already being tested, what we really need right now is to lock down until we have a distribution network in place for the end mass production of a vaccine for the coronavirus. Also, if I may, just I would like to defend my studies real quick because I think that it's often painted as like, well, we see, um, I, I just like to put it bluntly. I have these scholarly journals publishing articles in which respected scientists and researchers say literally millions of lives have been saved by these measures. So I think that it should be mentioned that while I believe that Muhammad is very intelligent, and I would certainly take his input very seriously, when he says, I don't believe lockdowns are very effective, I'm going to weigh that against scholar the literature on the subject, and I'm going to say that fundamentally, uh, okay, the truth not, is, let's not there, are the, the, there are these studies. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't... Yeah, let's, let's not say our other people are talking up. Yeah, if you're gonna use study, let's say in the future you must so at least you have to Yeah, you have to suck. Yeah, because I okay, will, here, I, won't I be have able to respond. I have it right yeah, here. Imagine. The effect of large scale anti contagion policies on the COVID nineteen pandemic. Okay, regardless. Um So I think the point is this. We know lockdowns have saved lives. And I think that we have to recognize that again, as Mohammed has mentioned, there are very effective policies like contact trace. As Muhammad has mentioned, you petty there bitch. are extremely effective measures, such as contact tracing, which are a key part of a multi-pronged response to coronavirus. But he continues to bring up the example of South Korea, which is an excellent example for how to respond to the pandemic. But we're talking about the U.S., and that ship has sailed. The, well, we've got maybe 50 to 100 cases of people arriving, let's trace them now before things get out of hand. Things are already out of hand. I repeat, one in 71 North Dakotans had the coronavirus. An active case of coronavirus. Didn't have it? Have it currently, I, I believe, as of Thursday. These are ridiculous numbers. You can't, you're going to contact trace the entirety of North Dakota, South Dakota, and, the, and all these states that have, uh, you know, obstinately refused to close up effectively? You can't do that. The truth is that we have to recognize that lockdowns are a bit draconian. There's no getting around that. But on a certain level, it's either that or we let literally millions of people die. What I propose is um, effective immediately that the uh, and uh, either uh, that a national emergency is declared and the writ of habeas corpus is suspended for all violations of the lockdown and 
and that the lockdown is implemented immediately. The federal government overrides state authority <clears throat> to demand a full national lockdown. There is a full state-at-home mandate except for necessary uh, supplies such as groceries or water or things necessary to basic human needs. But except for that, all businesses, all schools, all institutions, they are to be fully locked down until a we have the infrastructure in place to distribute and manufacture a vaccine for the coronavirus. Okay, so it seems that we are shifting the conversations, talking about what can we do today. For example, like in uh, the Dakotas, where the pandemic is, you know, raging harder than ever. So I will address that. So first off, Jason, I have to. Okay, so you said that you're going to be overruling the uh, institution of habeas corpus, right? The right of, you know, person, I believe that's the right of person to receive a trial, you know, on, you know, for a reason, right? So, I mean, you're constitutionally, you know, that's illegal because the federal government is only allowed to do that if there's an insurrection, right? And so that's why Abraham Lincoln instituted that because the Confederacy had seceded from the North, uh, from the Union, and that was, you know, an insurrection. You'd be doing this in a completely unconstitutional manner and that would probably be struck down almost immediately by the Supreme Court, which I should mention is majority conservative at the moment. And then secondly, um, on the fact, on the idea of, you know, the lockdowns, if we impose the lockdowns, we'll be able to uh, solve deaths. But I think you guys, uh, I'm going to mention this again, you're doing the same thing that has already been done. Why should we expect different results this time? Countries no, like the United it, States. It's because every uh, time we do lockdown. People stop it a couple months through because they need business. But that is my point. You cannot institute a lockdown for months on end for a year. Is the vaccine going to come out in a year, right? Or maybe in 10 months? You cannot institute a lockdown for 10 months. There would be so much economic, physical, and physical damage that but that would, would clearly outweigh any of the, you know, the positive sides of any lockdown. But there would now, be more if we don't lock well, down. For, for example, no, that's that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we can use all. We can use a lot to to the unseen consequences. I don't doubt there are those, but Harry G has amply cited a lot of stuff on the amount of cases uh, lockdowns have have avoided and. I, think I can address can that. It later to the address that generally. Hold up. I'm not. I'm not saying that lockdowns are, aren't effective at slowing down the coronavirus. What I'm saying is that we can impl implement different measures in order to slow down the coronavirus, and that locking down coronavirus merely delays the spread of the virus, while at the same time racking up more body counts than uh, than you could have saved with the lockdown. So I'm arguing that is why lockdowns are a foolish endeavor. It's the their idea of the insanity. I'm not. I'm not saying you guys are insane in any way, but I'm saying there's like that idea of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That is what would arise in this situation by implementing another lockdown. I'm specifically citing um, a. So here, if I can get the title one second, I'm specifically citing the effect of large-scale anti-contagion policies on the COVID-19 uh, pandemic uh, by Solomon Hussang and all published on uh, June eighth, twenty twenty. Sorry, was that Doctor His? Was that Doctor Hisang? Hisang, yeah, Hisang. Hisang. There you go. I have no idea. Nature lockdowns, large scale anti contagion policies. Okay, thank you very much. But 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 on a more gen but we're about to critique his cards. Anyways, on a more general note, we can see very clearly the effects through a simple graph of the distribution of the COVID infection rate in Texas on June, I believe June tenth. The governor of Texas, Abbott. Says basically that small institutions can open, addresses, sometimes a little, some schools, and immediately the number of cases per day shoots up from roughly 2,000 to 15,000. So he closes us back down again very soon in approximately a month. Cases start to go down slowly until on September 18th, facing pressure from his state and from Republican lawmakers, he opens it again and Literally the next day, the number of cases shoots back up to 22,000. And then he's like, shit, 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 I gotta close this down. And so Governor Abbott closes this down the next day. And that was... Here, through this very simple day-by-day -day distribution of coronavirus cases, we can see the effectiveness of lockdown and the drastic consequences of not locking down in exchange for short-term economic gain.
All right. So my question to you, Jason, is are you willing to put a lockdown for the next 10 months until a vaccine can be distributed on a large scale? Are you willing to essentially let hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people die around the world due to these lockdowns? Are you willing to destroy businesses and families? Are you allowed to are you willing to worsen economic inequality in this country? And believe me, I don't I actually don't care much for economic inequality, but I know it's an issue dear to the hearts of many uh, those on the left. Right. Because look at this pandemic. Billionaires have gone far richer. Right. Well, the poor have, you know, instead of that, they've gone far poor. They've been laid off from their jobs. Right. Disproportionately poor people are being hurt by these lockdowns. These people, you know, have been uh, drained their savings. They're, you know, they're, they can't keep up with their rents, etc. You're worsening these systemic issues in the United States, right? Are you willing to actually let these lockdowns uh, go ahead for the next 10 months? I do not deny that lockdowns may slow the spread of the virus. I, I do not deny that. All I'm saying is that there are other options that can be used instead. But I'm asking you, Jason, are you willing to actually consider the possibility of, well, because essentially what you're insinuating is we need to keep lockdowns in until we have an effective vaccine that can be distributed on a large scale. Okay, let, let's, let me address those claims one by one. One, the I think it's a little hyperbolic to state that a policy in the United States will somehow affect the entire globe on this massive scale and millions will starve. I don't think that's necessarily the reality. I think that no matter what, the United States has enough uh, food resources and certainly financial resources to keep itself afloat for the next 10 months. But, uh, onto the question of economic inequality, there's two prongs. One, there's the belief that economic inequality is somehow just inevitable, that, you know, no measure can be can be implemented right now to solve the worst effects the pandemic has had. For example, we could limit the number of evictions that could be carried out in this trying time. Certainly, that would put a limit on the landlords, but however, they will be receiving their rent eventually afterwards. So, I do not generally see harm these people are clearly we need we, these clear people who did on jobs clearly cannot pay for their rent right now so we can implement lots of measures for rent relief for rent stoppages we have and for a variety of other issues the same method can be applied there are ways we can ameliorate the damage while also enforcing the lockdown and finally getting to the root of the issue and also there's the question of uh, economic inequality overall which is that Look, economic inequality. I, I, I see my. I, I am. I vehemently oppose it. I see it as one of the greatest uh, problems threatening our nation today. But also that uh, the coronavirus crisis isn't just affecting the um, lower rungs of the <clears throat> the the most disadvantaged members of our society economically. Uh, uh, <clears throat> they are also literally killing. The coronavirus is uh, is hitting. The lower rungs of society the hardest. These people do not have access to free Medicare. These people often do not have insurance. They don't have money to pay for the exorbitantly expensive treatments that they have to undergo to not die. So I feel like there is, on one hand, a slight loss in productivity for 10 months. And then on the other hand, there is millions of the poor and the needy dying. I feel like there's a slight imbalance in what, well, in fancy language, I would call it the hierarchy of needs. In uh, more basic language, I would call it common sense. Well, I could address the. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Well, I could address go those ahead. points one by one, but I just want to make. I, I just want to do this quickly, Jason. You still haven't asked. Answer my question: Are you actually going to have indefinite lockdowns until there's a mass distribution of the vaccine, perhaps next summer? Are you actually going to do that? Yes. Well, obviously, people will be allowed to go out and get groceries and whatever they need to survive. But I don't think people. I, I think the lockdown should apply to any non-essential trips outside. I see. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So I just want to say that um, I I actually would like to highlight a certain, an under-recognized element of the pandemic, which is the fact that the rich have gotten richer. Jeff Bezos has made a frankly astonishing amount of money, $400 billion last I oh saw. Oh boy, it's that time Harry pandemic. proposes socialism. It happens every all right, time. All right, baby, it's coming. All right. Um. So as as this show's resident, very loud and proud socialist, I'd like to say that I do not disagree with Muhammad's assertion that simply locking down the country and then you know dusting off your hands and saying, we're done, we're here, it's great, we did it, we're gone, is not an effective way, and it will exacerbate income inequality, which I would argue is one of, if not the greatest evils facing the country today. But, again, as Jason said, we don't have to 
for, for, you know, addressing something like income inequality while refusing to allow the government to intervene is like fighting with both arms tied behind your back. We can do things like institute rent freezes, raise taxes on the rich to pay for, say, you know, giving people rent subsidies, giving people food stamps, giving people unemployment benefits, because it's, again, not like the rich have not. I mean, you could literally take $400 billion out of Jeff Bezos's pocket this instant, this second, and he would be no richer then he would be no poorer than he was at the beginning of this pandemic. So let's be clear here. The, the ultra-rich have the money to support the poor through this time of need. Moreover, and let's just put this basically, Muhammad specifically said, would you be willing to lock down? This would cause possibly millions of deaths. And I would say, yeah, I would, because I will take a possible million over guaranteed millions. And Muhammad, I definitely okay. satisfactorily address the point that so far, we haven't really seen any nation in the world that has simply been able to contain coronavirus with measures other than lockdown. Well, except for North Korea, but that's a shot like that. But the fact is, there is no example of a country in this world that has contained the coronavirus without using lockdowns in some way or form. Okay, uh, True, but that is, but that's okay. not a counter argument. That's not okay, a counter argument uh, to uh, what I'm uh, advocating for. I, I feel like this discussion has kind of become. Three liberals versus Muhammad. Fine. Yeah, I tried to say this earlier, however. I have to I have to address all of your points in a short yeah. amount of time, like and it's hard to do it's hard to do that. Sorry guys. I can't address all of your points. It's like having a three person neg and a maverick there. I think it's been abundantly clear that lockdowns are a crucial part of any attempt at controlling the coronavirus. No state so far has been able to control the coronavirus through measures without using lockdowns. All of them have used lockdowns to some degree or another. And I think what we need to do is we need to uh, get up the nation to say, you know what, this is going to be the final lockdown. We're going to lock down until this thing is gone or we have a vaccine. We simply need one final push to get rid of the damn coronavirus. What I think is the centerpiece of this entire argument is that by not endorsing lockdowns, we are simply delaying the inevitable. Look, I get it. There's a lot of more attractive options. A lockdown is difficult. People losing their jobs is never good. People losing their livelihoods, their ability to purchase the basic necessities of life. It it saddens it, it saddens the entirety of America, I'm sure. And it is deeply troubling to me as a proponent of um, income equality and the rights of the disadvantaged. To say that, unfortunately, uh, we must take the we must take life as the priority above economic rights. <clears throat> no matter what, lockdown or not, the poor will be hurt. And when we choose a lockdown, we are choosing to let them live instead of letting them die for a few brief moments of economic productivity, all in the service of some rich money banks. And even for that rich money banks, if we don't lock down right now, we will eventually have to lock down sometime later to finally stop this crisis. <clears throat> what we are doing is essentially tripping over ourselves every couple of months to get more money, <clears throat> to raise those GDP figures, you know, to boost the stock market. But fundamentally, we don't stop the problem that's depressing it. What we need to do is institute immediately. Uh, a lockdown, suspend habeas corpus for those who violate it and enforce it with force if necessary until we have the infrastructure in place to manufacture and distribute on a massive scale to millions of people a vaccine for the coronavirus. Anything before that would be irresponsible and reprehensible. All right. So before I start, I'd like to say, Muhammad, you're a great guy, even though you would like to kill babies. You know, it's okay. Okay. Wait, what? On. Wait, hold, how that's did that a, happen? That's a, wait, what? That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Hold on. We don't specifically mention other people in our world. Come on. Here. I'm not, I'm not mentioning, I'm just, I told you before I start, okay? You'll know when I start. I'm going to start with a classic Bidenism. Here's the deal, folks. We can look at lockdowns in much the way we can look at dental hygiene. You see, flossing, especially when you haven't done it recently, hurts. Sometimes your gums bleed a little bit. It's true. 
But if you just wait until you have a cavity, it gets worse and it gets more expensive and it gets more difficult. So we have to recognize that lockdowns are part of a coronavirus response that has to be responsive. A responsive response that regards an uptick in, chrono in coronavirus cases as a call for more severe action, not as simply something that has to be, that it, no, something that is unchangeable, something that we can have no role in. And more than anything else, I would like to simply put it as this. We are saving lives, and it is the choice between saving the lives of millions of Americans or not, or risking it, or saying their lives are not worth the economic prosperity of the nation. And I just cannot abide by that logic, because frankly, as important as the economy is, and it is all important, it is not more important than the lives of the average American. And that's not okay. We need to recognize that at a certain level, there is a priority. The priority of economic prosperity is below the priority of keeping your population alive. To put it simply, we have the means to support people through a months-long lockdown. The rich are, have plenty of money and can be taxed in ways, again, as I mentioned, Jeff Bezos made $400 billion since the outbreak of the pandemic, so it's not as if we do not have the money, the capital, to support poor people even if they lose their jobs through a months-long lockdown. We can support them. So we have the means, we have the motive, saving millions of lives. All right, so I have many things uh, to address from my fellow podcasters. Um, so first off, as I restate my case, there what essentially meant many, um, several of my interlocutors, interlocutor, ah, podcasters uh, have been insinuating that essentially we will need an indefinite lockdown as um, and where essentially people can only go for essential, you know, services like food and water, etc. This will cause unprecedented chaos, unprecedented economic catastrophe, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of other deaths related to suicide, uh, overdoses uh, from drugs, etc. So I believe that this is clearly this, this is not a policy the United States should, uh, you know, go forward. Remember, again, we have instituted lockdown several times, many countries have instituted lockdown several times. And yet, as soon as they have reopened, you know, which they will have to do, then the cases have gone up and basically all you did is delayed it. What I'm saying is that we need to do, we need to use other methods in order to contain the coronavirus, including wearing masks, social distancing, tracing, uh, massive testing, et cetera, all these other things that we can still do even in this stage of the pandemic. Now onto the arguments uh, from my fellow podcasters, there's the idea that uh, we can just, you know, override the, we can override the constitution. We can execute, hey, uh, we, can, we don't have to listen to habeas corpus. There's no right. Uh, to a fair trial, no imprisonment without, you know, a trial, right? This is clearly folly. There is no insurrection going on. So it's clearly unconstitutional. Imagine if we started a process of clearly breaking, you know, you know um, the constitution. I mean, many on the left, for example, argue that Trump is, you know, has no respect for the constitution. And I think that if we're, if we agree to that, for example, I know many of my fellow podcasters are on the left of the political spectrum, then by that logic, we should be trying to, you know, uphold the constitution. We should make sure that we're respecting the laws of this nation. And so therefore, you know, going against constitution, doing something so clearly illegal um, is just inherently wrong. Um, onto the idea we can just tax the rich and get away with this. No, you cannot tax the rich. Jeff Bezos does not have $400 billion. He has probably about $100 billion, um, maybe $120 billion. And even if you were to redistribute all that income, if you tax all that income, you'd still not be able to make enough money to supplant all the income lost from the perhaps from the tens of millions of jobs that uh, have been lost. And not only that, imagine what you do to um, Jeff Bezos, who is a wealth creator. He is with, through Amazon. He's providing many goods and services. The economy, if you tax him at such a high level, how um, you know all that all that revenue from the stock market that is lost, all that investment. In capital goods, etc., is going to be lost, and that will have serious long-term effects on the economy that uh, clearly are not foreseen. Um, and as for uh, the idea that, uh, and and again, on the inequality issue, I still, um, if we are buying the idea that inequality is bad, as many on the left say, then yes, yeah, inequality is being exacerbated by the pandemic. And again, why I'm I'm not sure if it's so important as. To, uh, one of the fellow, um, fellow interlocutors has stated that inequality is perhaps the number one issue that in this uh, world is facing. Then, I mean, then why are we advocating for a policy that does, you know, exacerbate that very thing? And lastly, uh, uh, two last things. Again, as I've stated, clearly we don't need 
the lockdowns. It's not, there's not, there is a false dichotomy being painted that it's either lockdowns or death. We can stop, or sorry, we can slow the spread of the virus without mandating lockdowns. It is not necessary. As I have, as I have stated earlier, we can implement other methods that have proven highly successful that the World Health Organization and many other prestigious universities and scientists have advocated for. And as, and uh, it should be noted that the World Health Organization itself said lockdowns are a last resort strategy. Um, and so therefore they are not warranted at this stage. And lastly, above, uh, I would say that there is a civil liberties argument to that should be stated. There is an argument that we are the nation that um, upholds private property. We are the nation that upholds people's right to association. And clearly that's being un infringed on an unreasonable level with these lockdowns. We can still interact with each, we should still be able to interact with each other. Yes, we may have to stay six feet away from each other. Yes, that is still constitutional. Um, state governments are still allowed to do that. But forcing people to not uh, have access to their private property, that's clearly infringement of all this, this liberal democracy stands for. It is a disgrace to implement these draconian measures. It goes against everything that we stand for. And so I believe that lockdowns are unnecessary. Therefore, we have other methods that we can use to contain the coronavirus. See. All right. I think that's a wrap. Um, thank you, everybody, for... T um, God, this is a live show. <clears throat> thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Swing Vote. Um, as always, all episodes are available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you might be listening to podcasts. Um, catch our new episodes every Saturday. And as always, stay in, stay healthy. Stay safe.